Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome this evening's moderator, Collider.com's editor-in-chief, Steve Weintraub. How's everyone doing? Uh, I'll be bringing out the filmmakers in a second, but for those of you who haven't seen it, we're going to watch The Man from Uncle Trailer. Uh, I've seen the movie twice now. It's legitimately very funny and really effing good. But let's watch the trailer and let's talk to the filmmakers. told me this was going to be a simple extraction. They were waiting for me. What was waiting for me was barely human. It tore the back off my car. Grow a spine, Solo. This is the most dangerous time in our history. We recently discovered an international criminal organization with an atom bomb. We have no choice but to work together on this. America teaming up with Russia. That doesn't sound very friendly. We'll leave you two to get acquainted. I'll let you tag along, but it's in and out, no mess, and we both forget about in the morning. This is not the Russian way. You ought to investigate Victoria Vinciguerra. They will send an army to stop us. We must give them an appropriate welcome. It's better for the mission that we get to know each other a little bit more intimately. What does that mean? It means I like my woman strong. So you want to wrestle? I did not say that. Hold on, cowboy! For a special agent, you're not having a very special day, are you? So sorry, I can't stay to finish you off myself. Your tracker's not sending a signal. Do you want to check it? Be my guess. What are you doing down there? Trying not to get lost. I'll turn it on now. Let's finish this. Things could get a little messy. Absolutely hate working with you, Peril. You're a terrible spy, cowboy. And you have a new code name. Code name? Uncle. I am super happy to be able to present the filmmakers behind the man from Uncle, Guy and Lionel. Hello, hello. I'm Guy, that's Lionel. Hello. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. Uh, I'll be asking a bunch of questions. Uh, we're going to watch some clips. And then by the end, uh, we're going to be opening it up to you guys to ask questions on your own. So if you think of things as we're talking that you want to ask about, uh, make sure to remember those questions so you can ask at the end. Uh, jumping into immediately, uh, the most basic thing is, how did this project get off the ground? How did it come together? Do you want to have a go at that, dear? If you want. Go on, <laughs> sure. you have a crack. Um, after we finished Sherlock Holmes, uh, Warner Brothers came to us with a bunch of uh, projects that they had, one of which was Man From U.N.C.L.E. 
we had always uh, been fans of 60s spy movies. In fact, when we first met sort of 25 years ago, 20 years ago, we had actually talked about doing a spy movie together, even before Lockstock. And uh, we thought, well, let's give it a go and see if we can come up with a story that we like and the studio likes. And we did. And that's how it all came about. What, was it always going to be in the 60s, or was there ever any talk at the studio of modernizing it? There was talk. It didn't last very long. Um, we felt as though we could occupy a unique space if we went for the 60s. Um, so that conversation lasted about as long as that conversation lasted. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the things that uh, you're known for, or at least in my mind, is you make excellent bromances in a lot of your movies. What is, how, what's the secret? Because in this as well, there's just great chemistry between leads, the two male characters, if you will. Yeah, I think I'll let Lionel answer that. <laughs> um, Guy has a way, um, I think of... Uh, this, this gets oh. embarrassing for me now. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, Guy, I mean, if you look at all his films, and he's, he's done it with so many actors, he has a way with making his actors relax and creating an environment on set uh, and he somehow is able to show them how to be cool. It's, it's, it's sort, of the, sort of the best way to describe it. And, uh, and sometimes he acts stuff out for them, but he sort of, he gradually I've watched him gradually, now, now on two lots of movies, gradually coax them into a thing. And there's a lot of time spent hanging, hanging around, having fun. And, and so it's sort of, it, the, the, the sort of chemistry is already there as a result of the casting, but it sort of develops even more between the actors as everybody's hanging out yeah, and having fun. During the casting process, we, we make it a big deal to make sure that everyone gets on with one another. So it's in no small a component within the casting process that everyone's going to get on, and I think that eventually that percolates. Uh, well, I, I definitely want to bring up the cast. How did you decide on these people for the movie? Was, uh, was it an immediate thing when people, when you met with them, you're like, oh, it's going to be Henry, it's going to be Army, you know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't immediate at all, actually. Um, Henry, who's Superman, for those that don't know, um, came in as the Russian initially. Um, but it was important that, harking back to the original series, that the Russian was blonde. Henry's not blonde. He's conspicuously dark. And uh, as much as we liked him for the role of the Russian, so in the end, it was, we had Tom Cruise originally. But you can tell there was all sorts of issues with that because of Mission Impossible and yada, yada, yada. So uh, we did a dance with Tom for some time before that sort of fell apart. And it, we were going to go for either Army or Henry. Um, and Army was leading the charge because he looked, he looked more sensible blonde. Henry looked pretty silly when we put blonde wings on, wig, wigs on him. So when it fell apart with, uh, with Tom, it, it, he slotted into that position very nicely. Uh, for both of you, talk a little bit about, uh, is there a day or two that you will always remember about making this movie, like a memorable moment from filming? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my favourite moment, or one of my favourite moments, was, uh, was uh, in, in Italy, in Naples, uh, we, would, we would take a boat to set. And I remember him saying one day, we were sort of halfway, in the middle of the ocean, on, on the way to this other bit of the coast, he said, come on, let's have a swim. So we stopped the boat, jumped in and had a swim. That, that was my most memorable. You just wanted to see me in my great. speedos. <laughs> uh, that was really fun. Then went to work, then got back in and went to work. One of the things I think is great about the movie is that you balance really incredible action set pieces with a lot of humor. It's very funny. There's a lot of levity. Uh, there's a clip we're going to show that demonstrates that. But how important is it to make sure that it's not just some, you know what I mean, to balance that levity with action? Well, it's everything, really. Um... 
and the films that Lionel and I are most attracted to is trying to straddle that line just right so you don't lose the stakes but simultaneously you can enjoy the experience and we both like a laugh. So uh, it was trying to straddle that line of at what point does it turn into a comedy um, and do the stakes evaporate? So, you know, that was a constant battle of trying to... Uh, but that was really, we were harking back also to the original series as well, because the original series sort of straddled that line, we thought quite, quite well, well, at least what I remember of the original series. So we tried, that's, you know, that was a fundamental component of, of making this film manifest, is to keep it funny, but simultaneously keep the stakes there. Uh, do you want to show the clip and then talk, uh, give an answer? Sure. Uh, so we have a clip and we're gonna, so you can demonstrate the, uh, or see the humor. Soviet architect traveling to Rome would never dress his woman in the clothes you tried to put her in. You tried to dress her like someone on your side thinks someone dressed behind the Iron Curtain. She's from behind the Iron Curtain. That doesn't mean she wants to bring it with her. We need two purses, please. And every day in clutch and grab that belt. I... no. No, not at yours. The Raban. You can't put a Paco Raban belt on a Batuu. She's not going to wear a Batuu. What's wrong with a Batuu? Nothing. If you're fat, that your goes with a Raban. It won't match. It doesn't have to match. Have you seen the price of this handbag? It costs more than my car. You can get back on your horse now, cowboy. I'll see you in Rome. We should, all, we should also uh, talk a little bit about the clothing because that's a, a huge thing. But uh, when you see that entire sequence, I, I promise it will elicit laughter. There's a little, a little more. Yes, than you, sh you should laugh more. <laughs> yeah. laugh more. There, well, you know the thing is, like being being honest, there's a lot of build up to that scene. Yeah. So there, just you'll have to trust me on this. I'm not lying. I, I promise. But talk a little bit about the clothing because the clothing is, and also the the music, the way you shot it. It's all. Right. Let me give some context as to how we ended up in that place. Right. The idea was is that you traditionally you see these uh, extreme heterosexual guys that are very good at killing people. Um, not interested in female clothes and we like the idea that the, our super agents were much broader than that and that they, they knew everything about, because it was professional, to know about everything about women's clothing. So that was something that we never saw in a film before so we quite liked the idea that they were much broader than your average kind of spies. Um, but the, the aesthetic of the 60s was very important to us. So the clothes became a, an actor, if you will, Within the, within the film. So clothes played a big part in it. And actually I'm surprised how much attention the films got because of the, uh, the clothes that are involved in it. So the aesthetic in general, the cinematography, um, the cars, um, the fact that we went to Rome, these were all kind of requisite uh, boxes that needed to be ticked that were all part of the genre of what we saw as the golden age of the spy genre. Well, you want to talk a little bit about also the gadgets, because when you're in the 60s, you get to play with gadgets. You do. It was the birth of the gadget. We are in the gadget shop. Um, and I suppose this was, you know, these spy movies, Bond and the Uncle, were people were interested in, you know, that was a major part as we grew up, that, you know, every, every Bond, there was a new gadget. And the idea that this gadget had gone from this big to this big um, was always terribly exciting. Um, but you are more the gadget man than me there, dear. 
Yeah, we, we, so we sort of decided not to go with sort of extreme gadgets. We, we actually researched the, uh, the various different devices the spies actually used in that time. We tried to be fairly true to that, actually, with our gadgets. Uh, I'm curious about script changes. From when you guys sat down to craft this thing to what people are seeing on screen, how much changed along the way? Was it very similar to what you came up with? Any radical changes? Pretty much. Um, Lana and I try to make a good working script. And then from that, we try to keep a, a degree of flexibility within that in case an actor drops out or another one comes in. And uh, it's, it's important to us that it remains fluid, the script. And also, the, the other thing is, is you'll be surprised about the props that turn up once you're on location, which does inform a scene. So you, know, you can rehearse a scene, rehearse a scene, and then, of course, you walk onto the set. And then the, there are things that are in the way that stop, uh, stop that scene, which you've rehearsed 100 times, manifest in that way, or you realize there's a more more efficient way to make it manifest. So inevitably we end up working on the script quite a lot. And you know, the actors are very involved in that process. That's another part of the casting process. You want to make sure that they, they can think for themselves, these guys. And then that makes the process more interesting for he and I and the rest of the team. Yeah. I would, no, I would just say the script is a sort of constant process of discovery for us. And the whole idea for us is to evolve it. Uh, uh, and we go through many, many different iterations of each scene along the way. We have our drafts, then we go into rehearsal, and then actually on set. And I think it's, it's part of the fun, as, as Guy was saying, it's really part of the fun of it all. And uh, that's, you know, we need to get, it, it needs that to get to where it finally ends up. Well, if I'm not mistaken, on the Sherlock Holmes movie, when you work with Robert, he's very much like, break down the scene right before you're going to film, figure out how can we make it better. How was it on this in terms of that kind of a setup before a scene? Are you always talking to the actors? How can we make it better? Or, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, what tends to happen is you got 10 minutes before you start. And if you've got 10 minutes before you start, we all sit down and go, well, do we think we can improve this? Or we make sure that we build in a, a, uh, an access of time which we can bite into, a contingency of time that we can bite into. So we'll sit down and then we'll read it through and go, is it really, is that good enough? Can anyone come up with anything better? And if you can, you can, and if you can't, you can't. And you know, it's sort of 50% of the time yeah. you can trump it. I think a lot of his best inspiration is on set. Guy gets on set, uh, uh, the set's dressed, actors in costume, they come on. During the blocking, he gets very inspired and has lots of really fantastic ideas. And I think a lot of the best stuff comes from that. I'm very curious for both of you, do you like to work with storyboards? Are you very much figuring out that the shot in the moment? How much is it pre-production or pre-vis? Um, I think storyboards are a complete waste of time. Um, although I started my career with storyboards, uh, again what happens is, is that you end up in the location and then you realize that your storyboard is now obsolete because there are different elements that are involved. And if you're too religious about a storyboard, I, I think it's just an, it's another thing you've got to worry about. And it really the best thing to do is get the guys in the, in the environment and get them to give the first couple of renditions of how they think the scene should be and then go from there. But storyboards, I used to, uh, we used to use them, and then every time we have them done, which we still do for some reason, I always go, we'll never do that again. Uh, one of the things in the movie, and as you all saw in the trailer, uh, one of the big things is music. And I would like to show a clip that uh, demonstrates some of the music in the movie and just to talk about the music. We have a second clip.
going to bed. Please turn this off. No fun dancing by yourself. I need a partner. You're not an East German chop shop anymore. Still no drink? Don't you make me put you over my knee. So you don't want to dance. But you do want to wrestle. No, I did not say that. Talk, talk a little bit about how you came up with the soundtrack and how much is it figuring it out before you're filming? You know what I mean? Come yeah, on. I do. The, uh, the music, uh, again, was another sort of actor within, uh, within the piece. And the music became a more and more important component as we went along. And I think, again, that's kind of inherent to the 60s. But uh, it just... Well, you talk about it, dear. No, I would just I'd say uh, it was very interesting for me to watch... It's the first time I've seen a director direct a composer. And it was really great. I, I think uh, um, Guy had very, very specific ideas about what he wanted from the music. And we had a, a great uh, young composer called Daniel Pemberton, who, who brought a lot of mat raw material to, uh, to the process, which then Guy shaped with him. And it was just very, very interesting to watch it. And it really does, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, he comes from music videos, and I, and I think music informs a lot of a lot of the way uh, he constructs his scenes. So I think it was absolutely critical and I think it works very well in this movie. I'm going to ask the film nerd question now. Uh, how long was your first cut versus the final release? Um, you know, we're quite tough on ourselves actually on these things. I suspect it was half an hour longer. Um, but then as soon as you dip your toe in the water and you see how people react to it, you go, oh, do we really need that? It's funny, you watch a film with an audience, it's funny how different uh, you really start paying attention. You're allowed to indulge yourself when it's just us two in a room and we're watching it, and then all of a sudden you put 50 people in that room and you go, oh, hold on, each scene really has to earn its keep. And uh, so by the time we finished with it, we were down another half an hour from what we thought was good. Um, and in the very last minute, we took 10 minutes out, which we thought was impossible. Um, so, you know. So that 30 minutes longer was not an assembly cut. That was an actual, like, a an early director's cut. No, I think uh, it, we probably took 20 minutes out yeah. of, a, of a director's cut, which is still a significant amount, you know. Because we're, yeah. we're not, I thought, what, we want an hour, 40 minutes, something like mm -hmm. that? About an hour and 40 minutes, so. Yeah. Are you both a fan of extended cuts? Or do you feel like the version you put in theaters, that's the one I want, that's yeah. the one I always want to see on cable, that's it? Pretty much, pretty much. I, I, I like my movies short. Unless, again, they can earn their keep. And I think there's a, a natural length to a film. I'll lean on the side of being uh, heavy with the scissors um, rather than the other way around. Because in the end, it's me that ends up wearing it. And uh, I'm, I'm nervous about boring people. Well, I have to ask you, you say there was 10 minutes that came out at the very end. Was that uh, one sequence? Was it through the entire film? What was the toughest thing, that, that last thing that you cut out? It's a funny thing. It's, uh, what, what happens is, is you test yourself. You go, look, I'm going to take 10 minutes out and you're going to see where it came from. And uh, you'll be surprised. You know, you can take certain scenes that are, you're in a certain environment, it should be seven minutes long, and you can get three minutes out of it. And you were sure you couldn't get anything out of it at all. And then you can do something with the same the other way, uh, the other end. And then you show it to your partner and he goes, okay, so 
so when you, where you're going to take the 10 minutes from, you go, no, we've taken it out. And that will tell you that you can lose 10 minutes where you think it cannot be lost. Uh, what did you both learn from the friends and family screenings or test screenings that really impacted the final release? Was there one note you got from one person that was like, of course? Uh, not really, actually. I think by the time we, we had come to uh, friends and family and test screens, I think we were pretty much... Yeah. I think mostly we were relieved because people were laughing. <laughs> so that was good. That was great. Um, it, it, they were great. They were actually really fun experiences, those screenings, actually. And we didn't, it was a weird one. On, on this one, we didn't really. The film is pretty much what it, what, it, what it was and what Guy wanted it to be, and there wasn't anything major. Um, there were no reshoots on yeah, this. I mean, yeah. most films nowadays, you, you take, put in the contingency yeah. a week's worth of reshoots. And on this, we, we didn't have a day's reshoot. I speak to a lot of filmmakers and they always talk about the one sequence that they kept on going back to in the editing room, the one that they were really tough on themselves on, they couldn't get it right. Did you have one of those on this movie? Not really, not really. I mean, I think what he was saying was that there was one action sequence, which is the one he took three minutes out of at the end, which, which, uh, which, was, the, which was the scene with, uh, with, the car, with the car chase at the end. And um, that felt... Uh, that, that took a bit, of, a bit of work, and that was a lot to do with the music. That was that music, yeah, yeah. That was music more than anything. It was yeah. finding the right piece of music to fit in there, which we thought would be a doddle, because usually we have a stockpile of great tunes that you can pull out and go, boom, stick that on that, and that will work. And it's funny, in this sequence we had, we tried absolutely everything, and we just couldn't get any music to work with it. And in the end, we found something, but it, it did take a long time to find something. You guys have worked together for a number of years. Uh, since no one's watching or here in the room with us, uh, what's the biggest fight you two have had and what was it over? Oh no, I mean they're endless. And they're all quite big. Uh, oh no, there's too many and they're too big to even sort of get into. But I think the important thing is, is that, you know, once we have these battles, as I say, of which there are many, we don't take it uh, personally. So, you know, we dust ourselves off and go back to work and uh, we like the fact that we can have altercations. In, in fact, I'd argue that we have less altercations now, dear, don't we, dear? Yeah, we do, dear. Uh, what's, 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 what's funny is that we actually, when we're not fighting over work, we, we, we normally try and come up with, with some, we have some sort of discussion about the meaning of life that we can get into a fight to. We enjoy fighting so much that we, every few weeks we, we get into a, a thing. It's just it's the, part of the entertainment. But they are becoming less, less yeah, frequent, yeah. which is disappointing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is now time to take uh, questions from the audience. So I believe there's going to be some mics being passed around. And hi, uh, thank you, gentlemen, for coming. Um, I always had this question of years watching spy films. Can you uh, describe the different the concept and styles between British spy flicks and American spy flicks? Say Bond versus you know Mission Impossible, and besides the action sequences, how can you explain the culture between American and British? Uh, spy genres. Hello. <laughs> um, well, actually, it, we have spent quite a lot of time thinking about this, and uh, we'll call it European rather than British. And what we try to create with this was um, because it's an American or Russian, but we try to give it essentially a European feeling. <laughs> Um, and a European feeling gave it a sort of more sophisticated veneer. Um, and that's the sort of probably the main ingredient that, that separates American from uh, European. American 
America, the, the genre coming through an American prism tends to be more muscular and there's all sorts of advantages to that but what it gains in muscularity it loses in sophistication so we try to again um, straddle the line of keeping it muscular but sophisticated so the it, it should feel somewhere we hope in the middle of you know the man from uncle is American uh, really it should be the man from uncle but it's, it feels like an American piece, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And hopefully, um, it, that said, it feels like an American piece. It came through what we, what we see as an English prism. I hope that answers your question. Hey guys, how are you? So ju just like somebody who went to college, maybe the 80s was probably inspired by Steven Spielberg. I mean, I was personally inspired to go to film school because of seeing Lock, Stock, and Snatch when I was an impressionable young teenager. And I think that you know your work was the perfect inspiration for a, a film major or, and you know filmmaker, and ultimately a low-budget filmmaker. Because I think your directorial style and the way you use music and you know patches and camera movements were really great with these low-budget movies that seemed much larger than their obviously their budget was. Um, recently, your budgets have gotten you know astronomical. I mean, you're doing these huge Hollywood movies, and I couldn't be more thrilled for you. So I'd love to know what, you know, what uh, impact that has had on you as a filmmaker and your stylistic choices now having maybe like a, a hundred million extra dollars to use. Thanks. Um, it's a good question, actually. And we, again, it's, some, it's something that we thought a lot about. Um, the thing is, is the game has changed as well. You know, when we were making Lock, Stock and Snatch, uh, other films of that size existed. That doesn't happen anymore. You can't uh, muscle your way through into the market now. It's such a congested market that you need very broad shoulders and quite big guns to get, uh, to get a space, to get a seat in the room. So that's happened. But what we try and do now is to make up for, um, we, we hope we still have some form of ingenuity. And what, what I try to do is to take that which is conventional and make sure that it it doesn't remain conventional. So, you know, if there's one, if there's one word I'd like to summarize this film as being, it, it would be fresh. I hope there's nothing else like this, and I'm, as far as I'm concerned, uh, as far as all the things that we've seen recently for, for a long time, we haven't seen anything like this, uh, although it's in the spy genre. And, and that was because I think, well, there was all sorts of reasons, I hope, and I, by the way, I'm slightly biased because I like the film, um, but, it was a it was a, a a definite effort to make sure that we did not become conventional. I hope that answers the question. Uh, Some of it. <laughs> I was going to say I hope you guys enjoyed getting to uh, hear Lionel and uh, these guys speak. <laughs>